1: change maker. It's Holly Rustic here with grant writing and funding. All right. Hey guys, I'm super duper excited about today, about this week. We are in our last day of 2019 and you may be listening to this in the first week even of 2020. So really, really excited to wrap up the year and to look at 2020. So today I have a very special episode for you where we went through and we said, hey, what are the, what were the top listened to podcasts? in 2019. And we have little clips of four different podcasts that were the top podcasts in 2019. Two of them were solo podcasts, so those done by me, where I give you tips and that sort of thing, and sometimes downloadables, and two others were interviews that I did. And as you've noticed, we've been transitioning more into interviews, although that's not to say we're always going to be super heavy interview, but um, on the podcast, we always respond to what you guys want and what you're looking for. So I do have those today. I'm really excited about that. And just to wrap up the year really strong and to show you kind of like what you guys have really been listening to and paying attention to throughout 2019. I'm also really excited to announce my strategic planning course, and I'm giving an amazing discount to that course until January 10th. So I've done this strategic planning with many different nonprofits in person, so as a part of my services, and it's helped dramatically. So it's really helped them redefine their mission and vision, really get clear on what they're doing, and really make some huge changes as far as how they're bringing in income and how they're strategizing their time and prioritizing their time. And it's it's just been so amazing. So it's something I've been doing throughout the years. And in 2018, I went ahead and I did it as a course course. So an online hybrid course where it was every week I would release new materials as far as videos and downloadables, and then we would have a call-in and interactive kind of group setting. And this went on through 10 weeks. So it was a 10-week course. And now I went ahead and I thought, you know what, I want to make this a lot easier to access and for more people to utilize. So I'm giving it to you completely. As soon as you get it, you get the full course, all the videos, all the downloadables, and we won't have any interactive videos to this, but you might get some bonuses where you will have some interactive group work if you choose to do so. So it's gonna be a lot of fun, it's gonna be amazing, and I really hope that you go ahead and get it for your nonprofit. Or for you as a freelance consultant, um, go ahead and get it because this is definitely a service that you can learn how to do. So you can do nonprofit strategic planning with many of your clients. It can be an added service that you get paid for. So it's a really great addition and you'll have all of the sources that you can customize then for your clients. So anyways, I just want to go ahead and give that to you kind of as a Christmas gift, but also as a New Year's great thing to do and just be able to do it well and to get all those nonprofits up to to speed and to really increase your impact and advance all of your missions that you're doing in the world. And then tell me about it. <laughs> so if you want to jump on that, please do. It is an amazing discount. So this is a great Course on nonprofit strategic planning. You can even do this, you know, add an hour on to your monthly board meetings throughout the year, and just do one step at a time. But you will have all of the downloadables. We go over like your mission and vision, relooking at that, examining your values, doing conducting a SWOT analysis. We even look at how to really define and articulate our priorities and how you actually schedule out your entire year with your different fundraisers, your grants that you're looking for, all of that so you really save time and you really, you know, are able to be strategic in everything that you do for funding instead of just putting out buyers 24 seven. So this is an amazing price until the 10th because I want as many people as possible to get this, to do it, to increase funding for their, their nonprofits, to increase their reach for their nonprofits. This is what you need. And even if you are a freelance consultant, you could definitely take this course because many nonprofits might not be grant ready yet. And this is a way that you can help them get in that position or many nonprofits that you work with, instead of only looking at grants, you may want to diversify their streams of income, which is a healthy nonprofit, and help them in different ways to really get clear on, on what they're doing and to bring in other types of funding. So if you're interested in that, definitely check out grantwritingandfunding.com. I'll have it there. You'll be able to see it. Definitely jump over to that. And I'll also be sending out through my email. So if you're not on my email list, please do email me at, holly at grantwritingandfunding.com and I can get you on that list. Anyways, that's really exciting. Um, I also have my grant writing course coming out just a little bit later, maybe in about a month, and you can definitely access that as well. So I have some courses rolling out for those of you who really want to increase your skills and increase your funding and just really go more into depth and have all of the downloadables and the tools necessary to really increase your impact and funding for the nonprofit you work at or the nonprofits you work with. All right, guys. So as we continue this, once again, I'm super excited about 2020. And I just I am I like feel it's gonna be amazing. And it's just it's really awesome to to look back at 2019. And to be like, hey, what did we accomplish? So I really want you guys to think about that as you're listening to the podcast today. But even as you go into kind of your reflection, because reflection is really important. It's not just about learning, 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 right? And just the overload of content. But it's really about taking a moment to say, let's reflect, let's see what worked, what didn't work, and how we can kind of change that to make it really, you know, in our best interest. And even in your personal life, I do this in my personal life all the time, where I'm able to say, okay, what's working for me as far as, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a volunteer in some things, I run a business, you know, I do a lot of different things. And it's kind of like, do I need to cut some things out even so I can really be able to focus on the things that I'm interested in, as well as what can I really go ahead and get into that I might, you know, start something new that I might really want to do. So it's really important to take the time to reflect. And I know I talk about planning a lot. I talk about this a lot, because it's really important. And it's helped me in my life as well, dramatically. So as I look back at 2019, personally, I see, you know, I started many different things. And to really say, okay, what's really working? What you know, was really working well that I can keep doing and that I love to do, and um, you know, really be able to say, okay, twenty twenty, what what's in store for me? So as you go through this kind of reflecting at 2019, please do check and see what worked out well, what took the least amount of time and the most amount of time, and what really brought you the most joy, right? Where were you really thriving? And then you can really apply that to twenty twenty instead of just being in response to the year, right? Being in response, like your time is just responding to everybody else. You know, you want to take initiative and be in control of your time and really be able to live your life in the fullest manner. All right, guys, <laughs> enough of that. Um, but anyways, I really appreciate you being a change maker out there, changing the world and everything that you do. So you are loved. You are thought of. I really do. I yeah, I love that you guys are listening along. And I'm very, very thankful for you. So happy holidays, happy new year and enjoy the podcast. I've seen a lot of different organizations actually kind of fall apart just because of what their mindset is behind grants. And it's usually not correct. It's usually one of I can just get money from anywhere and spend it on anything. This is an entitlement. And it's not one that you're actually going into a partnership. So we want to think of a relationship with funding sources and that is kind of what your relationship is all about. Your mindset should reflect that. It should reflect one of a partnership instead of just opening your hand and getting money dumped inside of it. So let's kind of go over this and it's just in general, what's a grant? I know that this is uh, kind of a beginner notion, and most of you know what it is, but I kind of want to go into this little description and definition. A grant is money given by an organization, most notably by a government, for a particular purpose. Here I would like to stress for a particular purpose, because if you get a grant awarded and then spend the money on something else, you are not acting in good faith, and you just might have to pay that money back. I want to spend another moment here to really drive this point home. Even though you may think, of course I got this, you really need to understand this. I've seen a lot of people, like I said, fall apart, not have their funding renewed or have to give funding back just because they're not gonna take five minutes to really get the mindset of what it means to actually have a grant awarded. An organization or agency or person has monies and a vision with those monies. When you, the organization, step in and apply for these monies, your vision must align with their vision. And we're going to kind of break this down a little bit more. A great example is the parent-teenager relationship. Let's go back into the past and rewind to when you were 15 years old. We are going to give you a name, Charlene or Chuck. Pick your own, but I'm going to use Charlene. All right, Charlene is very athletic and absolutely loves soccer. But at times her grades have dropped because she prioritizes her practice over homework. Charlene was picked recently for the senior soccer team, and she needs some money for a new uniform and for registration dues. She's going to ask her parents for the $50 uniform fee and the $100 registration fee, but she knows she needs to make a bit of a case of it because of her recent dropping grades. But she's so stoked because as a sophomore, she's actually been chosen for the senior team. So she starts devising a little plan in her mind. She will carve out an hour every night to work on homework and get her grades back up. Okay, sounds like a good plan. She's now confident to approach her parents. Charlene. Hi, Mom and Dad. I can't believe it. I was chosen for the senior soccer team. Mom. Wow, awesome. Dad. Hmm, this will be even more work than last season. Charlene. Um, yeah, but it's so exciting. Dad. So how much are the soccer dues? Charlene. Well, they're around $100 for registration, and I need $50 by tomorrow for the uniform. Mom. Well, that's just a start, but you also need money for away games and everything else. And like your dad said, it will be more work than last season, and that's when your grades started to drop. Charlene, I'll keep my grades up by setting aside 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. every night to do my homework, and I'll do chores. Dad, okay, that sounds like a great plan. Mom, here's 50 bucks. It's already after 8. Why don't you go ahead and get started on your studying? Sound like a typical scenario? (laughs) What I love about this example is that we as teenagers, and even younger, know how to devise objectives, measures, and reporting. We basically know how to write a grant. It's really that simple, with some added text and formatting, and we also know how to think about them. We know that we need to kind of put together a plan before we approach our parents for funding. So if you don't really know what to apply for, you kind of think, oh, there's just grants out there, so many thousands of grants out there. Well, you are right, but what kind actually makes sense for your organization? When looking at federal grants, mainly looking at two different types, and those are discretionary or formula grants. So if you're looking at formula grants, just like the word, it's based on a formula. And that's basically where the feds get together and they allocate their budget and they decide where the monies are going to go. And even with in this they know that there's a certain amount of money that they want to have say go towards Medicaid. So if your state gets that grant, they're actually gonna be spending those monies on that specific purpose. So there's already a formula to it, and there's no competition in that arena for it. And you know, you still might get some of these formula grants because the state might need you as a sub recipient to carry out some of the activities that are mandated by the Fed. See, it's kind of this pass through funding, and then that way you can, but that's usually when people are you know, they're more active. Asking you to apply. Um, there are certain types that you can get as a subrecipient, but mainly what you're going to be looking at is discretionary. And just like the word discretionary, the people is more of using your discretion. Okay, so using your discretion means you can actually compete for these grants. They are competitive. So that's the basic two big types of federal grants so state grants you can once again formula discretionary those are the two different types as well but one thing to note is that there's also state contracts and that's great you can also get federal contracts but you'll see maybe some more state contracts coming out and they're still competitive to apply for and basically the difference between a contract and a grant well there's many differences but the main one is that A contract is actually a legal binding document where a grant isn't. So say if, the grant doesn't go through as you thought it was going to go through with your objectives and everything you may have to pay back money you may get blacklisted from you know like if you don't spend your money properly and all of that you may have some things I mean you definitely want to watch what you're doing but at the same time if you don't follow through on a contract you can go to jail so it's a different type I mean saying that don't run scared screaming away from contracts because contracts are on some ways at many levels way easier to manage than grants for the reporting side but on the other hand they are legally binding. So when you're looking at different types of funding just be aware what they entail. Now going to foundations foundations they're pretty awesome talk about like program reporting and all that it's a lot less than a federal grant and it usually isn't as thorough either as a federal grant to write so federal grants can easily be 150 pages with attachments, budgets and logic models and the whole thing whereas foundations sometimes they just want a two-page letter of inquiry you know maybe they have four page limitations so it can be in some ways Easier to write, but on the other hand, they can be more competitive and they're a little bit more say more selective, but it is very interesting to see the different types of foundations. So you have private foundations and public charities. So you just want to look at private foundations. Public charities are when they're asking the public for money to do their thing. It's almost like a hybrid nonprofit. And think of like uh, your local radio stations and, you know, these kind of things where you're going to be going after private foundation monies. And that's like the insurance companies in your area. Or think of like the Ford Foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Think of these larger foundations and even smaller ones. Now the large foundations, I will say, yes. They have a lot of money. They're very selective about what they fund and they have a lot of people applying. So sometimes they don't even take unsolicited offers or you know proposals or anything like that. So you really need to look at that as well when you're applying for foundations. So once again, foundations can be a lot of fun because it is, you need to see if you know people on the board, if you need to know where the location, do they give in your community? Now foundations can be very picky and very precise with what locations They're actually giving. They might just give in a certain county, you know, and that's just, it's up to them because it's their money. It's usually private donors or corporations that fund these foundations. But what you can do is you can always send people your information, you know, just like even if you're having an event coming up, send them some tickets to your event. Don't just ask, ask, ask for money, okay? This is a relationship. So going back to that, it's a partnership, it's a relationship. Take the time to do the research and to really look at the different types of grants that you want to apply for, what they actually prioritize, and then make sure that you're in a place to be competitive in that process. Anyways, I am super duper excited today to have Mr. Derek Clark with me. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Derek.
0: Yes, thanks for having me.
1: And let me just go ahead and introduce you guys so you guys know who you're talking to. So Mr. Derek Clark, he is the owner of DC Resolve Consulting and Proposal Writing, and he is now in Hawaii, so the beautiful state of Hawaii. He does a lot with working with nonprofits of veterans, especially veteran-specific. And he is going to share his story. But just to give you guys a little bit of a teaser, Derek, uh, he just reached out to me recently. Um, he's been listening to the podcast. So yay, thank you, Derek. And um, yeah, he just wanted to go ahead and say he's started, he's a new consultant in grant writing. So he's been consulting for about six months or so. And so this is great for you guys listening out there to see, okay, what's the beginnings like? What are transitions like, and just to hear what his story is all about. But I love that you reached out to me, Derek. So thank you so much for being on the show, and I'm super, super excited to hear your story today and to share it with all of the listeners and the viewers.
0: Thank you. I'm happy to share it. So my big thing is a lot of organizations don't focus on actually having the biggest impact possible Mm -hmm. on the communities they serve. So my motto is resolve to have an impact on your community, and especially true for me with getting down to the numbers of your impact and best practices used to do that with
1: right right very very cool I love that so your whole resolve that whole notion of just resolving to do better yeah so your wife is in the military so you're a military spouse and that was one of your was that kind of preemptive to you starting a consulting business to be like look I know we're going to travel or whatnot, and I need something that can kind of follow me no matter where I go, instead of trying to always build new jobs in different places.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I had gone through one move before uh, from Fort Campbell, Kentucky to Fort Sam, San Antonio, Mm -hmm. and having to find a new job when I got there was pretty rough. Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to say it took six months, and I didn't want to have to go through that again. So I thought, why not just start doing my own thing? I already had somebody paying me for my work. So if I could keep that going and then add two, it should be okay.
1: Cool. All right. So you kind of started while you were working, you started a consulting job on the side, like a side hustle. And and now you're looking at, okay, now how can I build that up? And I think that's so smart. I really do. A lot of people just want to like, I'm just going to quit my job. And then I'm going to go become a consultant without even starting that yet. And they think they're going to make the same income with the same benefits right from the beginning. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, hold the farm. Like it takes a while to build up those relationships and to know what you're doing and just to get set up. And, you know, like even getting your website sorted out and all that kind of fun stuff. So, you know, it takes a little time. So it's good to have some cash flow while, you, while you're doing that.
0: Yeah. Fortunately, financially, we're okay to where I could kind of start over with a business of my own. But of course, the end goal is to be able to support myself through the work that I do. And uh, I have to say, getting paid for something that you produced yourself is pretty cool. I still have the very first check that I was written for work that I did like this.
1: That's great. Oh, So good to pay for your creativity and your own work. Mm -hmm. awesome so okay so you're a consultant you do a couple of things but before we go into there because we're going to talk about Derek has a couple of different services that he offers so I want you guys to hear or watch this right about the things that he does especially if you're looking at transitioning into becoming a freelance grant writer but even if you work at a nonprofit, if you're an executive director These are services that people can provide for you. They don't always have to be internally by your staff that don't have the experience. And then you put something on their plate, but you can consult out with consultants or you can contract out with consultants to provide these services. You're going to be talking about those in a little bit and um, some of your struggles. But before we go into that, I just want to hear your story because you have a really interesting story we're emailing back and forth a little bit, and then we've also talked before we started recording. And I just think, you know, that really grabbed my heart when you started sharing your story. So can you, can you uh, talk about that a little bit? Like what got you into this whole field and everything?
0: Yeah. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to share my story.
1: Yeah.
0: I've actually only ever spoken about this in public one other time. And it was to a group of transitioning active duty service members and uh, about the difficulties of what that process is. But uh, I would no, say my really
1: honor. Thank yeah, you. Yeah,
0: of course. So I well, let's back up. When I was 20, of course, I was enrolled in community college, and I didn't see the need for school after school. And I dropped out, started working in a warehouse. I worked my way up to being a supervisor there. It was a distribution warehouse. I really enjoyed working hard and, you know, feeling like you're in what you're getting. But I had a guy who came up put his two week notice in. course I asked why he said he was joining the army again so then we got to talking about why again and what it was like and probably an hour later I was convinced that I wanted to join the army and give that a shot see if I could make it too Mm -hmm. yeah so uh talked to a recruiter that week and I think I was off to basic training within six weeks from from that day
1: holy smokes! Um, that's fast
0: yeah, raise your right hand several times before they actually send you. But yeah, and they were giving what they called at the time. This was in 2007, right when the Iraq surge was going on, so they needed a lot more people. They mm-hmm. were giving twenty thousand dollar bonuses to people who would ship out that quick. So wow, that's kind of what it was. Yep, and hindsight's 2020. They were hurting for combat medics, mm-hmm. and my recruiter, of course, knew that. So mm-hmm. that's what I became. <laughs> And from there, did basic training. It was actually not that bad. I mean, it's pretty regimental, of course, but the physical challenges—if you like working out and you're in decent shape—it's mm-hmm. fun. After that, I went to Texas, went to school, became a EMT, and then combat medic. And that takes about six months. Then I left there, got stationed with the 101st Airborne. Uh, within two weeks, was sent to Iraq. Stayed there for six months. Came back, uh, was with an infantry unit one year back, deployed to Afghanistan. That was the worst camping trip I've ever been on, literally sleeping on the dirt in the open. Good experience overall, the Army in general. So then came back, I re-enlisted, I got sent to work in one of the hospitals, and I managed the public health clinic. That was a challenge coming from the infantry, especially working with a bunch of civilian nurses who were quite a bit older than me. That's where, that's where I got into writing policy, mm-hmm. SOPs, editing documents, stuff like that. And I really, really enjoyed it because to me, it made sense that if you were already doing something, why wouldn't you document that and then be able to look back at it and refine it or mm-hmm. change it as needed, right? Mm-hmm. So I fell in love with, with all that stuff then while i was there i had gotten diagnosed with uh, the traumatic brain injury involved in several explosions rpgs ids those kind of things and uh yeah so very lucky to come back especially with all my limbs um and th- and this is probably quite a bit more intense i guess than the normal podcast that you've had so thanks again for letting me share yes yeah, so it was one gentleman that i was working with who i he kind of identified the signs, symptoms, everything was going on, and he kept encouraging me to go get help, go get help. Yeah. So I finally did, got into treatment for all that stuff, and I was prescribed medication. And then eventually, and all this is pointing to why I do what I do now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I had gotten, I'd never done drugs or taken pain medication, anything like that before in my life.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they prescribed me Ritalin and Prozac, of all things. Mm-hmm. And that Ritalin was, a ticket for me. Colors are brighter. Like oh, It felt good. I got wow. hooked on that pretty, pretty quick. Uh, started abusing it. Mm-hmm. And then during that time, I was getting divorced. That was pretty rough. Oh,
1: wow.
0: And you know, at that time, I don't know how it is anymore. I don't ask. But if you're in the army, if you were getting divorced and your spouse had made accusations or it was a bad situation, you couldn't stay in the home with them. So you, I still had to pay for the house that we had, and I had to pay for somewhere for myself at that oh, time. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. So I couldn't afford both. So I was actually sleeping in. don't know how hot it was or cold, in the bed of my truck in the Walmart parking lot in the local town for um, probably about four months. Wow. I would go. Yep. You know, I would go into work. We would do PT or work out in the morning every morning, six thirty to eight. And I would use that shower, and then, you know, that that's, that's how I did it. And at the end of the day, I did whatever I could to not have to go home or, you know, go sit in my truck in Walmart. Because I think back then, uh, cell signal wasn't that great, so internet was a little slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, not much going on anyways. So I did that, and then finally, towards the end of there, Buddy had a camper he put in his backyard. I stayed in until everything was sorted out. But having been through all of that is why I feel so passionate about helping others get through whatever challenges they are. Yeah. So I started going to school. I got out of the Army shortly after that. Well, mm-hmm. about three years after that. Had resolved everything that was going on, was in a good place. Got married, and she was active duty as well. So mm-hmm. one day I sat down at my desk, had a fat email about, must extend for two years to deploy to Iraq again. I decided that I would just write out my contract instead of re-enlisting to do that then that happened. So the transition was pretty rough, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: I was going to school. I wanted to be a counselor to help Mm -hmm. other people, Mm -hmm. be that one person who was encouraging someone else, you know, they could get through it. Surely if I got through it positively on the other side, anybody can. I am nothing special by any means. So to be that for somebody else is what I wanted to do. So Mm -hmm. I went to school, got a bachelor's in counseling, and then kept right at it, thought I wanted to go through, do the LPC route.
1: Mm-hmm. So I
0: was in the master's program for that. Changed my mind on doing the counseling after I did the internship. It just wasn't for me sitting through days on end doing that. Oh, so I switched it. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I feel a little bit well, hypocritical for saying no, that. No, it's a
1: good time to catch it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. unfortunately, during your undergrad, you probably didn't have a lot of the experience. So you're still no. paying for these courses and all that for that certain degree yeah. and then doing the internship you know that's why i always like oh my gosh internships are so important right because you really see what yeah. the field work is going to be like to know that you're really yeah. interested so that's good that you caught it then instead of cuz getting your masters in counseling i know takes a long time and it's a lot of yeah too. so yeah
0: yeah well so fortunately i was using the gi bill so mm-hmm. yeah i did the bachelor's and the masters in 4 years and I stretched out that money. So it was all free. So
1: That's amazing. very
0: fortunate there. I know. Yeah, very. Yeah. Um, so I switched to human services leadership at that time mm-hmm. and completed that master's program. And that was very beneficial for getting into the nonprofit world. Uh, my first job out of the army and with the education was a substance abuse case manager. Uh, I was exposed to grants at that time, but only to review them to look at my job description. And maybe some policy, stuff like that. And then that's when we got orders to move to San Antonio down there looking for a job for about six months. And that's when I started working with homeless veterans uh, between San Antonio and Temple, the two main VA hospitals in Texas. That was really interesting. I had experience with homeless communities, but not homeless veterans at that point. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. working with them for a year was very intense at times and very joyful at times that was part of the opportunity i was looking for to to help others
1: first off i just want to say thank you so much for listening and for joining if you're listening to this on the podcast please also check out our YouTube channel at Grant Writing and Funding and you will find the video as well. So you can see her beautiful face. (laughs) We can go ahead and talk about 501c3. So we're really gonna get into it today. But before I go on, I'm just gonna go ahead and introduce her. So Vanessa is a lawyer with an economics and business background and particular experience representing governmental and quasi-governmental entities. And that's why we're talking to her today. Does a lot of nonprofit work. Drawing on this regulatory experience, she also advises businesses in all aspects from startup to sale. Vanessa often acts as outside counsel to companies in litigation and administrative proceedings. She is able to navigate her way around any legal issue with superior research skills and attention to detail, and then communicate that clearly to her clients so they have the information and assurance they need when making critical decisions. So Vanessa is licensed to practice law in Guam, California, and the U.S. Ninth Circuit, Court of Appeals and she has also served what really makes her special is she's just not behind the scenes academic on this she's in it (laughs) she's in it so she served on the boards of ANZ Guam um, that is a bank Australia bank right Australian New Zealand it's like
2: ANZ Guam so it's the it's owned by a uh, Australia New Zealand bank the group but it is the local bank so it's a locally chartered bank
1: perfect okay and she's also uh, the Aganya you know, Restoration and Redevelopment Authority, the board there, the Guam Women's Chamber of Commerce, where she's also served as president, the Rotary Club of Tumon Bay, and Guam Animals in Need. So she is in the mix, totally in the mix. <laughs> I <love Yeah>. it <laughs> and I, we've worked a lot together with mm-hmm. nonprofits and on nonprofits. You know, we've been talking, and a lot of times I'll ask Vanessa for just some kind of feedback. So I know what to tell my clients as well from a lawyer's perspective. And I have so many of you guys that are reaching out and wanting information on how to start a 501c3, right? And a lot of times I'm like, okay, let's go ahead and bring on an expert in the legal field that has nonprofits coming to her all the time to help develop the forms and submit the paperwork, right? Right. And as you kind of develop this, have you just kind of developed operational manuals or systems that you can easily kind of work through the process of helping people get started up.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have my my questions where I'm surveying them. It's like, okay, do you know what you want to do? What mm-hmm. your purpose is? Can you define that clearly? And uh, who are the people that are going to be your organizers? Kind of similar questions of When you form any other business, okay, Mm -hmm. what is your purpose? Except we got to make sure that yours is going to be recognized as a legitimate tax-exempt purpose by the IRS and the local taxing authority, the um, DRT, Department of Revenue and Taxation.
1: If I was coming to you and Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to start a nonprofit, Mm -hmm. right, what would be the first thing that you would say to me?
2: Okay. What What's your nonprofit for?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, so as we
2: want to, cl- you yep. know, clear because people would say, "I want to start a nonprofit," and I've actually gotten this a lot where they say, "I want to." They think that they can form any company or any business, mm-hmm. and that they can somehow apply for nonprofit status uh, but you have to qualify to be nonprofit i mean the nonprofit status under 501c3 or mm-hmm. or 501c4 or 5 or 6 or any mm-hmm. of those i think i mean there's over a that dozen stands, classifications right? for nonprofits those are defined in the law and the internal revenue code statute by the irs right and right. so Unless you fall into one of those categories already, you can't be a nonprofit. Now, 501c3 is very general. It's like religious, charitable purposes, but you have to, I mean, you can't, there's restrictions. You can't right. do any lobbying activity or political activity. Some of the other 501cs you might, but not 501c3, which is common. But anyway, the point being is, I guess, them the question of, okay, what is it that you want to do? Make sure they actually have, assuming it's a 501c3 charitable or religious purpose to the organization to see if they'll even qualify because right. if if it's, they're not going to qualify off the bat then we're not going to waste our time diving into the details of their application.
1: Uh, yeah and that's a really good point because I do have a lot of people that come to me as well and they'll say hey I need to start up my business I'm looking for grants so I want to start a 501c3 yeah, so I can fund whatever I'm doing right and I'm like that's not really how it works yeah. you know necessarily like maybe but let's go a little deeper into that you know with them because otherwise if you're just doing it so you can have a revenue generating income for yourself that's usually not a 501c3 right then
2: right. so, yeah.
1: yeah you can't be the charity <laughs> right exactly and a lot of people that's what they think yeah. and yes there are grants some individual grants available out there for fellowships and that sort of thing right. but as a 501c3 that's really more of a community work. Like, right. are you going to even if you have some kind of program income coming in, like through grants or fundraisers or products or whatever, it's will you take that and give it back into your organization and into the community? Right. right? So exactly. I, that's interesting that you brought that up because I, I also get a lot of those kinds of things. Okay. <laughs> so that's good We're clarifying this. So you guys, if you want to start out with i one c three, you really want to make sure that you're doing it as a benefit for the community and it's not to like start your own entrepreneurship or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So what are some other things that you really see? Like, is it just stumbling over the paperwork or did people just kind of want that stamp of approval from a lawyer's eyes looking over their work or do you get both?
2: I get both. I, I mean, I, if there's a, you can get anything off the internet, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and truthfully, the articles and the bylaws of your organization, you look at them sometimes it's a few pieces of paper. It's not very, it doesn't seem very difficult or very hard. But there are key phrases that they're right. looking for with the IRS or revenue tax when they're examining your articles and your bylaws to make sure you are consistent with the, uh, an, a tax exempt organization. And so you've got to be careful. Like and yeah. there and that's something I don't think you would anyone would see you w- you wouldn't just Google articles or bylaws and then they'll tell you that or you'll know that it's something right. you know from looking at the, you know, the statute and looking at the regulations and. And then also just experience, especially locally, Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Um, things that you just learned because you've done it so many times or we've done it so many times. But I do get some people who are just like, oh, can you just look at this and do this? And and that's never really worked out. Oh,
1: really? <laughs> because
2: they start, they think that, well, we're doing it, we're doing it on the cheap. You know, we, yeah. we oh, well, we don't have any money. We're a nonprofit, right? We yeah. don't have any money. and yeah. And so can you just like take a look? But then they file it and they think, oh, we're formed. You know, they, so yeah. you. File your articles and your bylaws with the appropriate licensing authority. In in Guam's case, it's revenue and taxation. In any other state, it's like their uh, business divisions, whatever they call them, um, or commerce authorities. And then they think, okay, I'm formed. And so technically, yeah, you formed a corporation, but it's not a nonprofit yet because it hasn't been granted tax-exempt status by the IRS Mm -hmm. or, in Guam's case, the Department of Revenue and Taxation. A lot of people don't realize that, and then they end up doing things piecemeal. And then they're like... And so those people who are kind of don't want to pull the trigger and uh, form the attorney-client relationship or, you know, hire, hire us, they say, come back and they're like, oh, well, now we did this form and can, can you look at this? And I'm like, yeah, it'd be a lot simpler if you just let me do it yeah. from, from the get. So I guess the mistake is, I mean, just doing it that way piecemeal, mm-hmm. it, it ends up taking more time and probably more time and, and money that way yeah. um, as opposed to getting all your debts in a row.
1: Do you want to join the Changemaker Tribe and get courses, downloadable checklists, samples of awarded grants, behind-the-scenes live Q&A with myself and the Tribe, and discounts on grant services? Be sure to join the Changemaker membership at www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash membership.
0: Thank you for listening to this Grant Writing and Funding podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time. For more questions, email Holly at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com or visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com.